This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 212, recorded Wednesday, March 25th, 2015. It sure is. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is our feedback podcast for Try, the second last episode of season five. But uh, it's been a long week for you and me, and it's only Wednesday. Oh, my God. It's only Wednesday? <laughs> As we're speaking right now, it is only Wednesday. Oh, my God. So. That, yeah, that this should be like the middle of May. <laughs> it should at least be the middle this... of next week already. Yeah, actually, if if you wouldn't mind coming over to my house and knocking me into the middle of next week, that'd be really appreciated, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a rough one. We've both been super busy at work, and now it's just wearing down on us. So uh, nobody cares about that, though. What they care no, not about, even a little bit. What they care about is things like entry in our record your favorite scene contest. Yay! So I'm gonna play one right now. Do it, do it, do it, mom. Hi, Lizzie. They told me to come down here. Are you okay? Good. I wanted to see you because I'm going on a run with Rick. Do you think Daryl's dead? No. He had to go far away to get the medicine, so it's going to take a while. We lost all our food in cell block D, so we're going to go and look for more and whatever else we can find. Nobody's died yet. Yet? I think a lot of people are going to die. It's what always happens. Makes me sad, but at least they get to come back. Lizzie... When they come back, they aren't... People aren't who they were. Yeah, but they're something. They're someone. I'm little now. If I don't die, I'll get big. I'll be me, but I'll be different. It's how it is. We all change. We all don't get to stay the same way we started. Lizzie, it's more complicated. You said I was weak. I'm not. I'm strong. So I'm telling you what I think. You remember what I told you to do when there's danger? Run as fast as I can. You run and run until you're safe. And if it's your life or your sister's life, you can't be afraid to kill, understand? Yes. You are strong, Lizzie. You're going to live. You, your sister and me, we're going to survive. I know it. Where's your knife? Put your T-shirt behind it. You've got to be able to get to it quickly. Yes, Mum. I mean, Mum. Don't call me Mum. It was an accident. Just don't. Okay. What is it? I'm not afraid to kill. I'm just afraid. You can't be. How? You fight it and fight it. You don't give up. And then one day you just change. We all change. All right. Thank you very much. That was Lucy and Sophie in Cambridge, UK. Nice. Reading the scene between Carol and Lizzie from back at the prison, I think, when uh, Lizzie was, you know, starting to think that, that the walkers were m more than just monsters. I like the accents. They were... Uh... They're very entertaining. Well, you always, you always like a good accent. I do like a good accent. That is true. <laughs> so thanks, you two, for sending that in. One of the few we've gotten with more than one person involved. That was really great. So here's the deal on the rest of the contest uh, period, I guess. We are going to continue accepting entries until 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday, April the 1st. That's basically a week from right now. Um, as of whenever you're listening to this, it's less than a week probably. So if you want to get an entry in, 
do so before that time. That gives you a couple of days after the season five finale, which of course airs on uh, Sunday night, in case there's something from that episode that you want to record and send to us. So 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday, April the 1st, and then we will listen to them all again, of course, and announce the winner of the contest on the podcast that we record on the following Monday, April the 6th. Is that right? April the 6th? I think that's right. Yeah. Monday, April 6th. Um, so you won't have to wait too long to find out if uh, who the winner is or if you won. If you won. Do you think we'll get any uh, April Fool's entries on April 1st? Well, I don't know. It's possibility, I suppose. It is April Fool's Day. People tend to play pranks and act like fools on that day, so maybe. You know what would be fun? If some of the actors from uh, from the show actually recorded their favorite scene and sent it in. <laughs> that would be entertaining, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think that would be a good April Fool's joke, so I'm going to put that out there. All right. We're actors from the TV show, record your favorite scene, you know, play your own character, send it in to us. That'd be great. That would be great. All right. Uh, so, like I said, about a week uh, from now, we'll be closing the contest, so get those final entries in. Email them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, uh, the ratings for this week's episode. So they held steady from last week. Try had 13.75 million viewers, which is almost exactly the same as last week when we had 13.78. So you thought it would go up based on the quality of the previous episode, but it did not. No, it, it in fact went down by a couple hundred thousand people. Wow. But still, I mean, very, very consistent. Um, and, you know, next week is the finale. I imagine the ratings will go up for that, yeah. even though I didn't think this week's episode, Try, was the best one of the season. And if I was going to, you know, follow through with my theory on episode quality, that would indicate that the finale ratings will go down. But I just don't think that's within the realm of possibility. Right. You think it'll go down to like 6.3 million? Yeah, that's right. It'll go down to way below 10. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No, probably not. But speaking of 6 million, um, I noticed on the list that AMC's Talking Dead show cracked 6 million this week. I don't I don't really follow the ratings for that show, but that seems pretty good for a, you know, a talk show about another show, and I think I don't know if they've beaten the 6 million mark before. So, congratulations to them, I guess. Yeah, great work. We've we've beaten like six or seven million downloads, haven't we? Oh, sure, man. Our uh, our uh, our ratings are up right up around uh, Monday Night Football levels. So yeah, well, that's what I assume. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, okay, that's it. That's that's all the preamble for this week. We're going to get right into our feedback now, and uh, we got to start it by doing this. Listener feedback. If we're done the preamble, does that mean we're in the amble now? We are definitely in the amble, and later on we'll be in the post-amble. Post-amble, okay, good. <laughs> so to start our amble, we have a call, and it comes from Debbie. Hey guys, it's Debbie again in Campbell, California. I also wanted to add that I do agree with Chris, I think it was Chris, saying that this episode sucked. It did. I thought that Rick was weak. I'm totally over this little love thing he has going on. I think it was the whole realm of the situation for him to think that he can have a, a love 
and keep them safe in the zombie apocalypse is crazy. And it was just kind of strange, and it was, and I'm bored with it too, and ready to move on. I also like the idea of having more of Daryl out in the outer skirts, trying to find people or whatever they're looking for, and keep it active on that. Thank you. Bye bye. So Debbie is trying to say she wants to see Daryl in a skirt. Well, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't, really? In the, uh, in the outer skirts, yeah. Yeah, the outer skirts. Um, I just want to say, I I mean, yes, I wasn't a huge fan of this episode, but sucks is a little a little more than I would go, I think. The one thing so, I... So you're, you're disagreeing with Debbie, who agreed with you. Well, you know, it's funny how the world works sometimes. It's just mean. <laughs> I know. It's plain mean. The one, the one thing I really do agree with her on, though, is that I feel like the... The uh, love triangle between Pete, Rick, and Jesse has kind of worn out its welcome a little bit. It's it's been going on for three episodes now, and it's uh, it just feels like it's been hanging around for a long time. So if it's not wrapped up already, they definitely need to wrap it up really soon. I would say. Well, it's going to be wrapped up next episode. I bet you. Well, I think it might actually be wrapped up already. They had their fight and. You know, there will probably still be some tension between them, but I'd be surprised if all three of those people in that love triangle survived the next episode. I wonder who's going to survive. Well, If any of the three are going to survive, it's going to be Pete, right? Because he's the surgeon. <laughs> of course, he's the surgeon. You can't kill your surgeon. No. <laughs> he's super... You'd rather... You'd have to kill the, uh, you know, the the four, foremost actor on the show before you kill the, you know, the town's surgeon. He's very important, the surgeon. That's right. All right, next we have a, uh, another call from, uh, this one's from Edward. Hey, guys. My name is Edward from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, the United States of America. Um, just want to give a quick comment on the show. Um, didn't like the direction that the show was taken. Seemed like uh, the crew, the heads of the crew, have become, become madmen. Um, they finally saved the show tonight, in my opinion, because if it went any way other than this... I think I would have been done with watching Walking Dead. So kudos to the writers, even though this has been not their best season, in my opinion. But the very fact that they had to uh, knock Mad Rick out, Michonne, you go, girl, um, shows that the conscience of the group is still alive somewhere in some form. So keep up the good work with your podcast. Thanks very much, Edward. So, Jason, nobody can accuse me of being one-sided because uh, even though Debbie said this episode sucked, Edward here just came on and said that this this episode saved the season for him, and it was yeah, that good. It, yeah, actually, I, I'm glad that uh, the, he will, you know, continue watching. Yeah, well, we don't want anyone to go away. You know, we want all the viewers and uh, that we can have, really. Well, yeah, of course. All right, uh, next is a call from Audra. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Audra from Poughkeepsie, New York. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Carol wanting to just straight up kill Pete. Um, <clears throat> I think what you guys are forgetting is that she's got some experience as someone who is a victim of domestic violence. And in the real world, um, talking about um, pre-zombie apocalypse, uh, oftentimes women um, were, are, are killed 
right? And so you've got um, women who um, run away. They try to change their identities. They try to change states. And their attackers will find them and kill them. And sometimes going the legal route um, doesn't, doesn't help some women. Um, it's a very difficult situation to be in. Carol's been there. And now we're in the zombie apocalypse. And there is no law and order. What are they supposed to do? Um, exile him. When they exile him, then what happens? He can come back and um, hurt Jesse. This is... This is something that Carol knows because she's lived. So I don't really blame her for taking that leap and saying, well, you know, this is the only option. We've got to kill him. I'm not saying that if I were Carol or if this was in the, that was my situation, that uh, I would have the same decision. Um, but I can definitely empathize with her. So I think we all need to remember that um, from that perspective. Anyway, you guys have an amazing podcast. I enjoy listening to it every week. And uh, good luck on the awards. Great. Thanks, Audra. I think she kind of outlines the the issues I was I was just having in general. I feel like there is no good option here. And um, it totally makes sense with Carol's, you know, history of domestic violence that she would um, want to take an extreme stance on it. And that would be her solution. Um, but I just feel like... It was too much of a foregone conclusion. Even though Rick didn't straight out kill Pete, it felt like it was too much of a foregone conclusion that that was the only solution to this problem. And I'm not saying I have a better solution. I'm, you know, I I don't know that there is a good one. But in the circumstances of a post-apocalyptic world like this, what can you do? And and that was where my sort of um, frustration came from. In that I didn't really have a good answer to this problem. Well, there is no, you know, good answer. There's no silver bullet, but uh, you could cut off one of his feet. You know, <laughs> just make him so you can't you can't really uh, chase anybody, but uh he can probably eventually stand up and still do do, do uh, surgery. Yeah, I I yeah, I can't you can't cut off his hands because he can't be a surgeon without hands. So cut off his foot. Right. Yeah. You can cut off one of his feet, yeah. I mean, it's you're you're getting into sort of like you know someone's a thief, so you cut off their hand. It's it's does the punishment fit the crime? I I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. Well, you know, but the uh, you know what's the alternative? Either leave him alone or kill him. You know, it's a middle ground. Well, this is the problem. It's it's hard to find that middle ground. And for yeah. me, like exiling him out of Alexandria is probably the most humane middle ground, right? If, if you're right. talking about that versus cutting off a foot <laughs> right. or maybe, maybe just chop off a pinky finger. I mean, you can still be a surgeon with four fingers on one hand, probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. A, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm not a surgeon, but you know, it might throw off the balance of the, of the whole hand. Who knows? I don't know, but it's, it's tough. Um, you know, I, I almost wish the show as my, I don't know. See, I flip-flop back and forth, right? I said, I remember saying that I hope they don't immediately jump to killing him. And if Rick just walks up to him and kills him, I'm going to be disappointed because that seems like the easy answer almost mm-hmm. um, within the parameters of the show. But now I feel like what's going to happen next week, Pete's probably going to get killed next week, maybe by whoever these people are that Daryl and... and um, Aaron are, are following and are about to encounter, you know? And that, I feel like, will almost be like an easy way out for the show as well. Make Pete die, but don't have any of our characters do it. 
Right. So don't deal with the problem. Just get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we should wait to see how things play out next week because maybe they'll really surprise us and then we can revisit this. But for now, I think we've revisited it enough. Okay. Revisited so, it. it, it, it. <laughs> yeah. So now we'll move on to Adam in Cincinnati. Okay, I was re-watching this past week's episode, and the casserole is delivered at the beginning, but there isn't any name attached to the note on the casserole. Deanna leaves the casserole and burns the note, to me implying that she knows it was sent by a rictatorship member, but there is no actual evidence of such. Wouldn't it be just as plausible that a longtime Alexandria member baked and left said casserole? There doesn't seem to be an objective reason for uh, objective reason to leave the casserole and burn the note, just a speculative one. Yeah, well, they were all sitting in their living room listening to Nine Inch Nails, right? When the yep. when the doorbell rang. Actually, I don't remember if the song was actually playing at that point, but um, she they were sitting there, so it's not like they saw Carol out the window. She just went to the door, picked up the note, and somehow recognized Carol's handwriting. Right. Well, maybe, you know, all the Alexandria people know well enough to leave them the F alone in their time of grief, Greece, uh, whereas only a dictatorship member would be so bold to leave such a, a casserole on the doorstep because, I don't know, maybe the Alexandria members know something that Carol doesn't. Yeah, I suppose that's possible, you know, but uh, it does yeah, seem... Like- like like Adam said, it's a speculative one, but it might be a reasonable speculation. Sure, sure, of course. She she could be basing basing her uh, feelings on you know her two years of experience living with people in Alexandria. So maybe Deanna doesn't give a shit who the casseroles from. She just burns the note. Like doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's it's the, just the fact that someone left something at their door. She's just mad. Some asshole was trying to be nice to us. Screw that. <laughs> Screw that. Uh, All right, next up is Tyler in Seattle, Washington. I was really surprised that Michonne was the one that hit Rick. I cannot think of any reason that her character would do this. Rick is the character she's closest to, in my opinion, maybe with the exception of Carl, and for her to just hit him without even attempting to talk him down seems unbelievable. I also don't think that Rick would have done much of what has happened over the course of the past couple of episodes and have found that they have almost been trying to make him a neutral, chaotic character just to increase the drama in the ser- he creates. There is no way that someone who cares as much about his children as he does would just immediately jump to creating conflict, which would get him thrown out of Alexandria, especially over a woman. Right. There's that uh, D&D alignment again. Chaotic neutral, mm-hmm. that's an alignment that just, just plain crazy. Random person doing random things for random reasons. It is, and I don't like the fact that Rick has sort of gone that route. You want him to take a stand, and I guess you could argue that he is. He's saying that Alexandria is run poorly, but he seems to flip-flop back and forth a lot of times, a lot of a lot of the times. So he yeah. is a little bit chaotic, that's for sure. Yeah, I just this whole Rick thing, it seems like it's out of character for him, and I agree. Uh, Michonne hitting him uh, was out of character for Michonne, so I, I don't really understand it myself. Yeah, she she could have just started yelling and tell, telling him to shut up and even restraining him maybe somehow, but, you know, I guess when someone is raging like that, sometimes... Well, he did knock Carl away, right? And Carl would be uh, the one to, you know, really calm him down. But he also jumped on Rick's back from behind, which, you know, is probably not the smartest thing to do. You know, reason with him. 
you know, point a gun at his head, maybe. Pull, or something. Get in his face. Don't just try to run up from behind, right? He doesn't know who's yeah. who's there behind him. Although Carl did, I think, say, Dad, you know, stop, get off, sort of thing. But right. he's not hearing things straight when he's in that rage. Yeah. All right, next we have Paul in Bakersfield. A difference, difference between Rick and Shane is that Rick is giving Pete an option. Quit punching your wife or die. He even tells Deanna this is what counts as civil now. Deanna really made me mad by immediately expecting Rick's separation idea to fail and hoping it'd get better instead of doing something. It's like she's saying, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Yeah. You know what? We we didn't do anything about it and, and we don't have any other good plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's reasonable. I can totally see, Paul, see Paul's point too. And it all comes back to what I was saying a minute ago that there's just no good answer here. And it it's the first time really in this show that I can think of where we've had a situation that is at such a stalemate like this, right? This One of the things this group does is whatever is necessary to survive. And here we are in a position where nobody's, I mean, I, Rick keeps thinking that Jesse's life is at stake, but nobody's life is at stake from starvation or walkers or, you know, whatever. Or lack of nine inch nails. Lack of, there's definitely not a lack of nine inch nails, no. And this is the first time we've got a scenario where Nobody knows what to do. You know what's going to happen? Tell me. Morgan's going to show up and save everybody. Morgan? We haven't seen him in a while, and he's been, uh, he's on their trail. So we saw Morgan at the end of the first episode of season five, and at the end of the uh, episode eight, the mid-season finale. So that's got to pay off next episode, right? Oh. Like we're investing into that for a while now. They're not. They got to pay that off this season. Oh God, I hope so. I do not. If we don't see Morgan on Sunday night, I'm going to be really disappointed. I still might love the episode, but I'm going to be disappointed that we don't see Morgan. Yeah, we've been. Yeah, we've been paying into that for a while. It's got to pay off. Definitely. Okay. Angie in Birmingham writes: You guys were saying that everything Rick sees makes him think how wrong the situation is. So she's referring to the scene. Um, Right before he busts back into Jesse's house and before the fight happens. Right. And she goes on, that wasn't why he was getting agitated. It's the pretending, the pretense that the town folk have that the zombie apocalypse just isn't happening, as shown by the simple mundane chore of walking a dog. Simple pleasures like balloons. He feels they don't deserve that because they're not focused on the real world. Those things don't matter. Fortifying the town, having the skills to scout for supplies, having guards on the wall, snipers in the towers. Those are the things that matter now, not walking the freaking dog. Well, you got to walk the dog or is he going to poop in your house? Okay, walking the dog is important for sure. Um, but what about those other things? Like maybe the simple pleasures in life really aren't important anymore because you've got a world full of zombies outside your wall. So I agree with Angie, uh, and if I may draw a parallel between that and the comic book, uh, when uh, when our survivors reach Alexandria in the comic book, is it called Alexandria in the comic book? Yes. Okay, uh, that's good. So they have, uh, there's a Halloween, right? And uh, Carl uh, goes out for Halloween but doesn't get it, right? He's mad that all these kids are pretending to be 
uh, you know, being a normal world with normal things when uh, the zombie apocalypse is going on. So maybe it, they're flipping the character, but having the same uh, mental, you know, internal struggle going on. So I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I I sort of agree with it, but not entirely. I mean, I sort of think that if you do somehow manage to find this safe haven that really actually is safe. And at this point in time, the most dangerous thing in Alexandria is Rick, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And before they got there, I really don't see the problem with people actually taking a moment now and then to play with a balloon or walk the dog or, you know, whatever other mundane sort of life enjoyment things they can think of. You know, I don't have a problem with them doing those things. So... I can sort of see Rick's point because they've been out in the wild and on the road for so long and they've encountered so much terror and adversity. But you got to remember, people in Alexandria have been there for a long time. They've been safe. And there, there are more children around too. And with children around, they definitely have to take the time to, to be kids and enjoy themselves whenever they can. Right. Well, you know, Rick thought he was safe before. At the prison, they thought they were safe for a little while. They let their guard down a little bit, and mm-hmm. look how that turned out. So maybe that's, uh, that's you know, he's taking that lesson and going, yeah, it doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter how safe you feel. You're not safe. You have to protect yourself. Having these walls is not absolute protection. You can't, you know, leave them up and assume that they're going to stop, you know, badness from getting into this town because... You know, we had uh, we had walls too, and that didn't serve us at all. So at the end of the day, both of them are right. You know, Rick's, and it's based on experience and your perception of things. The Alexandrians have never had that much adversity, so they are taking the time to enjoy life. Rick and his gang have had nothing but adversity, and the moment, and when they did, you know, start raising pigs and growing vegetables at the prison, that's when everything went to shit. And so that's how they feel now. So at the end of the day, both perspectives kind of hold water. Yep. All right, next we have Laura on the internet. I think Rick is having such a strong reaction about Jesse being abused by Pete because of his pre-zombie apocalypse experiences. Back in season two, he he tells a story about how he arrested a guy for domestic violence and the guy was released, then later shot or killed the girl. Uh, His rational, his... uh, Rational thinking is being influenced by his experience. Yep. Well, just comes right back to what I was just saying. You know, he had an experience pre-apocalypse, and that has influenced the way he feels about the situation now. Yep. I had forgotten all about that conversation, actually, um, until Laura mentioned it. Hmm. Interesting callback. Okay, Steve on the internet writes, Deanna, what is she thinking? On some level, she has to know Rick's group is in the right she knows Pete is an abuser and that her son lost a group of four people recently. Furthermore, Abraham's valiant efforts and Aaron's endorsement should curry some favor too. Also, Rick is a cop. Despite everything that's uh, that's happened, that's, that's still who he is. She should defer to him. When the fight is going on, they needed to pile on Pete and drag him away to hear Rick's side of things. Granted, Rick's behavior and accusations only made things worse. Right. Yeah, if Rick was rational the whole time, he probably would have been listened to eventually. Eventually, maybe, but I don't know. He was pretty level-headed when him and Deanna were standing at the gravesite. 
behind the Christmas tree farm um, and talking about stuff, but they really don't see eye to eye on this. Right. That's why you got to, you know, appeal to the masses. You can't just appeal to her and then give up. You have to, you know, he brought, he bring it to everybody's attention and, uh, you know, make it a a democratic decision rather than just a, an autocratic one. Well, that's what Alexandria seems to need. Maybe they need more like town hall meetings or something needed. They need a council where Rick could step up and say, look, we got a problem with this guy. Let's hear everybody's idea, not just my crazy one and Deanna's crazy one. Well, they need to break off into multiple committees is what they need. That's right. <laughs> they need, you know, many, many, many committees with uh, alternating chairs. So as in the chair of the committee, not actual, just, you know, musical chairs. Uh, so yeah, that I think bureaucracy is the obviously the answer. They need musical chairs too, though. Well, of course. Well, they have nine inch nails. I'm telling you, right? enjoy life and play musical chairs <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next we have, uh, it's Kean, right? In Edinburgh, Scotland. I can't help noticing the over uh, overarching theme of recent episodes of The Walking Dead is Paradise, and more specifically, Paradise Lost, the epic poem by Milton. It started with Gabriel's, uh, sorry, Gabriel's treachery when he spoke of Alexandria as paradise and how Rick and his people were the devil. This theme is further reinforced for me by Rick's deranged uh, rant post fracas with the Doctor Punchy drunk, uh, with Doctor Punchy drunk <laughs> when, uh, with his eyes bulging and ego in meltdown, he screamed, "Me? You want me to leave?" It evoked for me the casting out of Satan from Paradise. Paradise. And Rick's recent demeanor has been suggesting the famous line from Paradise Lost, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Yeah, I I think this is great. I haven't, uh, I don't know if I read Paradise Lost ever, maybe years ago, possibly in in high school, Um, but I don't recall it very well. It's been a long time. Um, But that's a great line, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And if Is it though? Like, uh, anyway, I, I'm not going to question Milton, you know, obviously, but I don't necessarily believe that. Who are you to question Milton? It's yeah. it's saying that you should take power over money <laughs> or take power. Pa- power over, you know, comfort. Paradise? Power over paradise? Yeah. Better to have power and be in an absolute hell or uh, than it is to not have any power but uh, bring somebody some coffee. Well, you know... Um, Frank Underwood said it. He said that that uh, you should, you know, n- never trade power for money because money will run out. Power lasts forever, or something like that. Sort of. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Uh, anyways, it kind of makes me want to go back and read uh, the Milton poems, but uh, at the same time, I think The Walking Dead is clearly paralleling it quite, quite obviously. You know, just even almost, uh, almost directly with with. Uh, Gabriel coming along and saying that uh, these people are the devil, they need to be cast out. Right. And if you can parallel uh, Milton and Star Wars at the same time, you're doing all right. You sure are. Yeah. All right. Next up is Bob in Los Angeles. Did you notice who Sam was holding on to during the fight between Rick and Pete? Not Jesse and not one of the Alexandria regulars, not his brother, but Carol. He has definitely come to believe she offers more protection for him than anyone else. Man, that's just dumb. You think so? Well, Carol's going to kill him if he gets out of line. Like, as soon as he's a danger to anything, she's got no reservations about killing kids. No, but you know what? I have a feeling that Carol 
has slowly started forming a bond with Sam, and even though she threatened him terribly a few episodes ago, I'm not sure she would actually follow through on those threats anymore. She might have. She meant it when she said it, but now Sam's been hanging around, and Sam has become a victim in Carol's eyes of something that's horrible, and I think she feels a certain amount of motherly protection over him, so him hiding behind her is probably him... You know, Sam subconsciously realizing that this lady is, like uh, like Bob said, a source of protection for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I agree with that, that that's what he thinks. I just think he needs to be careful. Well, sure, of course he does. I mean, he, he can't know for sure what Carol's thinking yet, and she was pretty explicit in her threat to him, so. <laughs> that's true. All right, so next we have Andy in Weston Supermare, UK. Chris... Regarding your dislike of the amount of blood on Rick uh, on Rick and his fight with Pete, you're forgetting the amount of head trauma this guy has gone through in the past, especially from the fight with the governor. While there were no visible wounds on Rick, it wouldn't take much uh, wouldn't take much contact for a recent beat up skull to start uh, a heavy blood flow from old wounds. This could also account for his bipolar mood swings from being level headed to complete psycho at times. Head trauma is no fun. Well, no one said anything more true than that. Head trauma is definitely no fun. And I can completely see that, you know, maybe Rick has been walking around with a concussion for a year and a half. Right. <laughs> and he keeps getting hit in the head <laughs> again and again. So he, right. he can't think straight anymore. Um, I don't know if uh, if that means that you end up bleeding from your face more so than anyone else. Um, maybe that would explain it. Oh, and, and head wounds do bleed a lot. Like, I can personally attest to that. Oh, yeah, me too. I've, uh, I witnessed my daughter run into a table. That was not fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, was that gash in her forehead big. We had to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, and explain how you didn't do that to her on purpose. Yeah, that's, that's <sighs> the uncomfortable conversation you always have to have if you take a child to the hospital. I mean, kids have accidents. It happens to almost all of them at some point. Yeah or another, but the people in the hospital always want to make sure that, you know, this really was an accident. Yeah. And, you know, so they should, I suppose. They need to identify these things so it they can stop it. But uh, in our case, she was running, head down, ran right into a table. It was gross. Yep. <laughs> okay. Chris in the UK writes, Hi, guys. It's been a while since you made me shout at my iPod. But you've got me doing it again. <laughs> I can't agree with any of your concerns. Oh. So Chris sent a fairly long email outlining, you know, our three major concerns, but I'm just going to go with, with one of them here. Um, and that is that there was too much Sasha in this episode. Chris says, that scene in the forest had nothing to do with Sasha. It was about Michonne. That's the scene that makes Michonne's decision to knock Rick out at the end make sense. She's choosing between who she was and who she's going to be. Also, don't necessarily think she disagrees with the point Rick was making. She just knew that he had lost it in the moment. So the first thing I'd like to say here is that I get, um, especially now, that Chris pointed it out that the scene in the forest with the zombies wasn't only about Sasha, but I don't think you can 100% discount the fact that 
it wasn't about her a little bit. I mean, when Michonne got there and she started having her flashbacks, that was definitely her struggling with her new life versus her old life. And she made a decision. I, and I completely agree that that was about her. But everything else that happened, I think, was about Sasha dealing with her stress over losing Bob, Tyrese, and even Noah, which is one, you right. know, I didn't really think of at the time, but she is the one that told Noah he wasn't going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> and look what happened. Um, so, I mean, that was especially clear at the end of the battle when they were talking. So, sure, it was definitely about Michonne, and I didn't really address that on Monday. But I don't think you can discount entirely that that was about Sasha, too. And for me, I feel like we had already gotten that information about Sasha, and they were just kind of retreading the same ground here in this scene at least when it came to her character yeah that's true so you know i think now we can probably leave it behind us because again season finale one more episode lots of stuff is going to happen and all these things that we've had on our mind for three episodes while life has been relatively calm in alexandria it's all going to fly out the window when uh when things pick up on sunday yeah it's all going to be uh, a cow's opinion a moo point <laughs> Thanks, Joey Tribbiani. <laughs> yeah. Next up is Helen in Cambridge, England. Was it just me, or did watching Sasha, Michonne, and Rosita kick Walker ass outside the walls drive home just how dull life in Alexandria is for women? Even with a female in charge of the Alexandrians, are clinging they are clinging to old-fashioned values, all nuclear families and traditional gender roles as typified, typified. Typified. Typified by Carol's Stepford wife disguise and Jesse's damsel in distress. I've become so used to seeing the women in the show on an equal footing with the men that I guess I'd forgotten it took a zombie apocalypse to put them there. So I'm not sure I quite understand. So it is, it's very boring inside the, uh, inside the walls for, for women. What are they supposed to have like a, a, a sewing bee or something like <laughs> that's kind of sexist <laughs> well it is kind of sexist so I'm, I'm wondering like why is it boring for the for the women inside the walls but not the men well uh yeah good good question i don't know what i was going to say is that that i don't that i think the walking dead does a really good job actually of including female characters well, it does, yeah, and so I've I've really been uh, with happy happy about that. I'm just I'm a little confused by what Helen is uh, is going for here. You know, that said, I mean, The Walking Dead has been criticized and celebrated before for its fem for its women. Actually, you know, back in early on, Lori was the one who wanted to just do the cooking and the cleaning and things like that, and she was actually called out for it on the show by Andrea, if you recall. Right. Yep, which is great, but. This got me thinking about the Bechdel test. Do you know what this test is? I do not. So the Bechdel test was invented by uh, a cartoonist named Alison Bechdel. And she actually put together um, a comic strip one time that sort of illustrated this idea. And it's become the test for movies and TV shows and basically pop culture about, um, about the role of women in these these uh, films and TV shows and so on. And there right. are three components to the test. One, the item in question has to have at least two women in it. They have to talk to each other and they have to talk to something, uh, talk about something besides a man. Okay. And when I was thinking about this, 
The Walking Dead, I think, does a pretty good job of passing the Bechdel test. You would be surprised at how many Hollywood movies and TV shows, especially movies, do not pass this test. Right, because it's always, you know, there's more than one woman, but when they're together, they're always talking about the man. They're talking about the man, the male character, right? Um, This episode, Try in particular, was um, especially good, I think, because we had two women, three women out in the forest together talking about things um, that were definitely not about a man. Now, Sasha was talking about Noah and so on. But before that, Michonne and Rosita had a conversation that I think passed the test. And I think in general, the show does pretty well. It does a pretty good job of that. I, you I know? agree with that. I, I, I can't, like, I, I'd have to go back and sort of reanalyze um, other other episodes. But just off the top of my head, I think it passes the Bechdel test pretty well. Um, but as for Helen's comments, um, you know, it, uh, it was... I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure that uh, maybe in Alexandria, all of the women were sort of clinging to the old-fashioned values, as she says. But I think in general, this show doesn't do that. So they're doing well, no, okay. because Michonne's, uh, she's been, uh, you know, she's, she's a, a police officer in, in with just exactly the same as Rick. They're not, uh, you know, Rick isn't her boss. Right, they're they're equals. They're both constables. They're both mm-hmm. uh, so Michelle uh, Michonne is uh, you know taking uh, her job into her hands when she clubs Rick over the head. Right, yeah. she is being the peace officer in this case. This guy's gone crazy. Uh, he's you know spewing a bunch of gibberish and he's brandishing a weapon. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take care of that. This is a broken window that she needs to fix. Yeah, you know, and uh, she's a it's a broken Rick though. A broken Richto. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Brian in Texas. The twilight, in uh, quotes, seen with Carl uh, were probably inevitable as his character needs to grow from the pudding-eating adolescent to a reliable adult in the group. This character arc will, of course, require the typical growing pains associated with his maturity, including a love interest, as Carl can't be just a killer, something the show explored already with Carl's deadly pragmatism at the prison. Mm-hmm. He's becoming a man, he's discovering girls, and he's hiding in trees and touching their hands. Right. I, you know, I, I just I find it funny that Brian also brought up that this is a Twilight scene in, uh, in quotes. I've never seen any of the Twilight movies, so I wouldn't be able to tell whether this was a Twilight scene or not. No, I haven't either, I, and so I'm not exactly sure what he means, unless it's just sort of teenage lovey-dovey kind of stuff. Yeah, and I don't think any, any, either one of them is a, a werewolf. <laughs> no, that's werewolves, or is it vampires in that? I think it's both. Oh, I think it's vampires and werewolves. Well, let's just call it true blood then. <laughs> All right, Ollie in rainy England writes, The chopped up body that Aaron and Daryl came across in the woods looked a lot like Morgan. He even had sunglasses and a ring on the exact same finger. If this is Morgan, I'm disappointed that he was killed off camera. If this is the case, I hope they show his journey in next week's finale. Oh God, I hope you're right. It, well, Ollie, I, I really, if this was, uh, if this is Morgan, I'm going to be pissed. If if that, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a letter. I'm gonna start a letter writing campaign if that was Morgan because that's gonna be the worst thing they've ever done. Kill him off screen. I'm gonna write a strongly worded yet polite letter to somebody's underling. <laughs> and maybe you'll start a movement of change. That's right. Who will we'll, we'll maybe give the gist to their, uh, you know, to their boss. Maybe. 
If you're lucky. If I'm lucky. Anyways, it's not Morgan. It, it can't, can't be Morgan. It can't be Morgan. We're we not have that to, dumb. No, we have to see Morgan alive. And uh, like we already said, he. we hope we do in uh, Sunday's episode. Yeah, Lenny James is not going to come back just to do some of these little piss-poor cameos and then end up dead after not doing nothing. Man, I would be... Yeah, he would never do that. That would that would piss me no. off so much. Believe in Lenny James, if nothing else. Lenny James is the man. Well, he would, you know, he. I'm sure he was asked to reprise his role, and then he looked at the script and the story arc and talked to people and then made a choice as to, yes, this is something I want to get involved in. So believe in Lenny James at the very least. You know what? I wonder if when they talked to him about coming back in season five and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show you post-credits in a couple of episodes and then nothing for a while. I wonder if they had the the whole story arc mapped out for him. Uh, you'd think... Sure. You'd think they'd have to, I guess. I guess they'd map out the whole season. Um, so, yeah. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't know what he was getting into. So this has been planned all along. Well, he's probably only done a day or two of, of filming, right? Because if they, they know his story arc, he's only been uh, on screen for what? Five minutes? Yeah, not even. So they probably did that all in one one shot. Like, come in, you know, we'll film for a couple of days, we'll do your stuff, and then you uh, you can go and, you know, live your life, and then we'll bring you back for season six. Well, that's funny. I mean, he was on the he was on the first episode, so he if that's the case, he, they would have shot his scenes for episode eight way before everybody else was shooting episode eight. Yeah. But you're right. It would make sense to do it that way. So maybe he only shows up at the end of this episode, the next episode. Oh, God. If it's a post-credits thing, like we see everything that happens and then Lenny James shows up and everyone else is gone or something, that's that's going to annoy me too, to be honest. I'm kind <laughs> of looking forward to him catching up with the group and reintegrating and, and you know, just bringing his Morganness into the group. Yeah. You know? All right, next we have Dave in Coventry, UK. Not only did we get the fourth Alexandrian punched in four episodes, but it has been a different Alexandrian each time. Yep, good uh, point. They're working their way through all the Alexandrians, punching them in the face. Yeah, so who's next? Deanna, do you think she'll get punched in the face? <sighs> yeah, no, probably not. I, I'd like to see her husband, Reg, get punched in the face. Why? I don't know. He seems just, like he, such a big jerk. He has a face for punching that guy. He's just got the punchable face, eh? He has a punchable face. Yeah. Um, I or maybe maybe Deanna's other son. That way we could have punched both her sons in the face. Now. Well, yeah. Eventually we can get around to punching the whole family. You know who needs a punch is Nicholas. Well, he took a punch though already. He, yeah, we need to punch him again though. Yeah. Just you know, just cause. Just for good measure. Yeah. Okay, Sarah in Columbus, Columbia, South Carolina. Did you see how conspicuous Michonne's necklace with the A charm seemed to be during the Walker shootout with Rosita and Sasha? It seemed to be an homage to Andrea, especially with the flashback scenes and Sasha's comment of it working out for Michonne, as if she didn't lose anything. Could this be foreshadowing that Michonne may not be long for this world? Well, oh. I'm afraid I went back to look for this because I didn't notice what was hanging around Michonne's neck. Yep. And I can see how Sarah would think it looks like an A, because in a lot of scenes, it really does look like an A. It looks like a pendant with a little A hanging right in the middle. But there's one scene in particular right at the end where you can see that it's actually an M. 
It's an M. M for Michonne. Oh, I see. I figured it might, you know, it could have looked like an A, but it could have been a uh, uh, a complete profile shot of a sawhorse. That also could look like an A. It's an A frame, yes. It's, yeah, an A frame or like uh, the anarchy symbol that could look like an A. Yeah, I suppose for anarchy. But it's it's an it's an M for Michonne. It's an M for Michonne, I assume. Um, yeah, is it an upside upside down W for Wakasashi? It could be. It could also be an upside down W. Um, I had to look at it. I looked at every scene where you could see it, and it really does look like an A throughout most of it. And then right at the end, you get the clearest shot. It's definitely an M. Okay. Well, mystery solved. There you go. And luckily, that uh, that does not mean that uh, Michonne is not long for this world. So That's right. She'll stick around because M stands for sticking around. Sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. Next, we have Danny in London, UK. How the hell did Nicholas get the J gun? It was hidden in a blender. Is that a standard procedure for a scouting party? Check random crap for valuables? <laughs> I can't believe he was watching our group and watching Rick when he did it, and we've been shown he's an idiot and and wouldn't be able to do that stealthy without getting caught. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. So maybe I think maybe it is a, a, a standard procedure for scouting parties. Check random crap crap for valuables. I mean, that's kind of what they do out there, right? That's for me, it's the standard procedure for uh any video game involving Lara Lara Croft. Like she always kicks open the jars to get random crap, right? Mm-hmm. So uh for being an archaeologist, a famous archaeologist, she kicks a lot of uh pottery in order to get the random crap in there. You know, Assassin's Creed as well. I don't know how many chests and ammo crates I've opened and uh you know, beaches I've dug up just looking for random crap. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, wading through hordes of dead bodies, you walk into a town and kill 50, 60 people that all, uh, you know, 50, 60 town guards, and then you loot all their bodies for random crap. Oh my God. I spend like 50% of my time in that game looting bodies. <laughs> so maybe it is a standard procedure, but it does seem a little odd that, uh, you know, somebody would actually, I assume that he saw Rick put the gun in there because there's no way that he would have just randomly checked a blender yeah. with a zombie in the pile because there was one in that pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he must have seen Rick put it in there somehow. Maybe he was sleeping up against a tree and he woke up just long enough to see him put uh, the gun in the blender and then fell back asleep without being noticed. Uh, you know, maybe that's the only real explanation. For he it. He may be an idiot as Danny says, but he is, he, he must have been watching them or something like that while he was out there. Um, it could be, well, it, I don't think it could be just a random coincidence. He was definitely watching them somehow. Even an idiot can stay quiet when he needs to. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Idiots really tend to talk a lot. Hey, what are you doing with the, putting that thing in the, what is that? A blender? (laughs) That's a good idiot impression, Jason. <laughs> Thanks. I do it all the time. <laughs> Very good. All right. Um, am I next? Uh, I don't know. What are we talking about? Yeah, you're uh, doing Matt. All right. Matt from Clementon, New Jersey. Glenn is absolutely my favorite character on this show. Like the others, he always takes care of business, whether it's killing zombies or getting supplies. Unlike everyone else, he is a purely good guy. Even after Nicholas got Noah killed... Glenn still told Rick that they need to make this work, as opposed to simply taking the city over. A few times Glenn has tried to convince himself to be cold-hearted, but he just cannot do it. He's just sweet. 
He's just a sweet guy. He's a sweet guy, and Maggie totally fell for him. And well, she should. Oh, absolutely. They make a cute couple. They are a cute couple. All right, next we have a call from Matt in Delaware. Hey, guys. This is Matt in Delaware. I just wanted to share my holy crap with you. And it is holy crap. Nicholas is my least favorite character right now. I know Aiden was a total jerk, but I think he was just kind of a product of thinking he knew everything. But Nicholas is straight up, like, throwing everybody else under the bus. I, you know, I hope he dies a terrible, terrible death. And I mean it <laughs> all right thanks matt so uh terrible terrible death is what uh what this guy deserves <laughs> well of course so next week nicholas he's gonna get punched in the face again and then die a terrible terrible death sounds like fun sounds like fun okay thanks matt uh we got one more uh email here and it's a kind of a long long one But this comes from Bob on the internet, and I wanted to read it because uh, I think Bob summarizes things quite nicely here. He says, I'd like to give some thoughts on the episode Try. That is, it reminded me of why I liked season two so much. Despite a level of indifference others feel for season two because it was slow. Season two is still my favorite season because it was less of a simple zombie show and more of an intricate human drama with zombies in it. I've become frustrated with The Walking Dead, and I couldn't put my finger on why until last night's episode. The answer is that during the last few seasons, there's been far less character development, and the characters came and went too fast and often without reason. You don't need to look any further than this season for proof of that. The only character death that really moved the plot along was Noah's. The others died for nothing more than shock value. A season in Alexandria is what The Walking Dead needs. With Alexandria, the creators have the opportunity to stop the running with zombies theme, let us catch our breath, and get to know the new characters. I'd love to see a season that lets the connection between the two different camps develop as it did in season two. It's inconceivable now that Herschel was the enemy for a short time. I'll be extremely disappointed in The Walking Dead if in the beginning of season six, Alexandria gets overrun, and the gang is once again on the road fighting for survival. We've seen the uh, we've seen the we've found a safe sanctuary slash oh no now we lost it plot so many times, and it's become stale. The CDC, the farm, the prison, Woodbury, Terminus, and now Alexandria. Well, Bob is uh, Bob is correct. You know, it, it, on one hand, it would be. Uh, it would be nice to see Alexandria overrun by either marauders or zombies just to prove Rick and everybody right. You know, nothing is safe. You're not safe here. You have to protect yourselves even though you feel like you're safe. But on the other hand, yeah, we've seen that, uh, you know, we found Sanctuary, oh, crap, now now it's gone thing many, many times. And uh, Bob really uh, laid it out nicely with, all you know, the prison, Woodbury, Terminus, Alexandria, CDC, the farm, everything. So now I, I think uh, I think you're right, Bob. I think that uh, I would like to see season six, at least uh, a lot of it, or not, you know, the first half of season six take place in Alexandria with the two groups coming to terms with, you know, they're at loggerheads now, but, you know, have that, have that relaxed and uh, everybody kind of integrate into one big awesome group. Yeah, well, here's the thing. They... I can see why there is a 
you know, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't a little bit when it comes to this show. Because when the when the characters stay in one place for too long, the viewers get restless. And they're like, oh my God, just get them on the road again. Get them doing something. We're bored of the farm. You know, we're bored of the prison. We want to see something new. But on the other hand, um, they if they were always on the road, that gets tedious as well, right? So they need to find these places where they can stay once in a while. So finding that balance between staying somewhere safe and telling stories maybe about that location or about their experiences in that location has to be balanced with the sort of uncertainty and the danger of being on the road. And traveling. And I can see that's a tough balance to to find for the producers and the writers of this show. Um, but that got me thinking a little bit. I mean, maybe that's really what The Walking Dead is about, or or one of those things anyways, that, you know, we all know that the one of the main themes is doing what you have to do to survive, but maybe an extension of that is that you have to find a place that you can actually survive. And that's why they continually go from place to place looking for that ultimate, the ultimate sanctuary, right? Yeah. And uh, that's just one of the things that The Walking Dead is is about, that constant struggle to find somewhere to live or to press forward and, and look for something better. Well, the obvious answer is a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. <laughs> I guess so that you can just off, sail around on forever. Yeah, off the uh off the coast of Hawaii. Well, because why wouldn't you want to be in Hawaii? Exactly. Uh okay, thank you Bob. I think Bob sort of summed it up nicely there. And like you said, um I I would like to stay at Alexandria for a little while longer too, you know. Like I was saying, they got the, the fans complained that the farm went on too long and the prison went on too long. I think maybe now it seems like, well, Terminus didn't last very long at all, but if they're worried about that, fans getting restless, they might try to rush us out of Alexandria, and I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, because where are they going to go next? And and I think there's lots of good story that could be told in Alexandria. It all really comes down to what happens when the season finale, I think. If yeah. if bad people show up, or if the people that Daryl and, and Aaron are tracking turn out to be really bad, I mean, that could be bad for Alexandria. Or maybe those people turn out to be okay, and they invite them into Alexandria, and then whatever happens plays out over the first half of season six until something really bad goes wrong. Come on into Alexandria. Oh, great, great. It's nice to be here. Can I bring my zombie torsos with me? Like, do you mind if I bring those in? You know, I'll keep them in the basement. They're uh, they're really no trouble. Yeah. They don't eat much. I promise to feed them. Yep. Walk them. I, I carve W's on all their, their heads just to make sure people know they're mine. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, you know, uh, my buddy uh, that I met a while ago, he was uh, he was carving M's on them. Uh, so, you know, I started carving W's so that we'd be able to tell his torsos from my torsos. So I'm just going to bring my torsos in because uh, my buddy, uh, Martin, he just took off with all his torsos in a truck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, he was carving M's, but I wanted to make be, make it different, so I carved W's. But then I realized it depends which way you were looking, and it got all confusing. So, yeah, that would be confusing. Before we tried letter six, and he was doing the letter nine, 
but that was equally confusing. <laughs> yeah, especially because since those aren't letters. Numbers, numbers, <laughs> the letter six. <laughs> All right, I'm going to quit the podcast now and go watch Sesame Street and figure out my letters and numbers. <laughs> yeah, good plan, good plan. All right, um, Jason, did I send you the five more uh, items we have? I can't Predictions, remember. yes, you did. Okay, so what we're going to do now, because we're getting towards the end of this season, people have started sending in predictions for uh, the finale this week. And many of them are speculative and spoilery for the comic and stuff like that. We've got four emails and a call. So what we're going to do is we're going to end the podcast right now, play the music, and then spend a little bit of time going through these uh, final five uh, feedback items here for that are, that are kind of spoilery. So that gives you the opportunity to say goodbye, turn us off and move on. And, and we'll see you again next, uh, next time on the podcast. Um, if you don't want to, uh, if you don't want to hear these and have the potential to be spoiled or when it comes to the comic, actually be spoiled about certain things. Right. Cause our listeners are, uh, so freaking awesome that, uh, their predictions, uh, could very well be correct. Could very well be. And especially when you factor in, Comic information, you know, we all know that this show has been following the comic pretty closely. Um, we had some listeners actually write in about the fight scene in this uh, this episode and how it was very similar to the comic, um, which frankly, I don't remember because, I, like I've said, <laughs> I've only read this section of the comic once and it was a while ago. Right. Anyhow, um, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can give us a call on the toll-free phone number, 1-844-483-9662. Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. And uh, those are all the best ways to get in touch with us. Remember, you have about a week to send in your um, your entries for the uh, Record Your Favorite Scene contest. We'll be accepting those until next Wednesday at 11.59 p.m., basically just before the day ends. That's Wednesday, April 1st. And then we'll announce the winner on the Monday following. Um, and uh, if you uh, want to help support the show, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. You know, I did just the other day add a creator goal to our account on Patreon that I should let everyone know about. Yeah, yeah. Once we get to a certain amount per month, what we will do is add a whole extra podcast per month to the the off-season, basically. So when The Walking Dead's not on the air, we still podcast. I know not everyone listens, but we do still release podcasts, usually every couple of weeks. But what I want to do is when we get to that, when we hit that goal on Patreon, we will do one extra podcast each month while The Walking Dead is not on TV where all of our patrons can vote on and choose a zombie movie for us to watch and review. So it's not really Walking Dead related, but it's still within the realm of of zombies. And I think that would be really fun. I think that would be uh, most excellent. I can think of uh, a lot of zombie movies that I would want to watch. Absolutely. There's tons out there that we've seen, tons that we haven't, but we would leave it up to our patrons to choose the one that, that we watch and review. So that'll be fun. Visit uh, patreon.com slash the talking dead to find out more information about how you can get involved with that. All right. And that being said, um, let's wrap it up right here. Remember, stay tuned after this for some minor spoiler talk and predictions about the season finale. Um, 
And otherwise, uh, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right. So now, now that everyone else is gone, we can uh, talk about some spoilers here, Jason. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Right, so we have uh, most of our listeners have left, so we have the, the three or four people listening. Yep. Hi, everybody. Remaining. If we knew your names, we'd, we'd refer to you by name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, hold up. Uh, oh, that's Canadian. I was just thinking of the, the romper room where you hold up the, the lady held up that little hollow mirror. So I see Kevin, and I see James, <laughs> and I see Sally. Yeah. That, do you remember that? I do. That's uh, probably going to be lost on most people. Yeah, that was a Canadian thing. <laughs> All right. Um, who's first? Uh, me first. So we have a call from Mario in California. Hey, guys. Mario from California. Um, first time caller, regular listener. Um, I actually am calling for my own feedback. Uh, I actually came up with a couple of quick theories about what's going on with these walkers showing up around Alexandria. What I'm thinking is, is that we obviously have seen Eden outside the walls more than we're actually seeing her inside the walls. And what is she doing out there? Most of us probably don't know, but what I'm thinking is is that she's hurting these zomb- or these walkers around Alexandria because it's kind of weird how she just randomly has egg timers and she's kind of knowing her way around the forest like it's the back of her hand. And is she doing this by herself? I don't think so, because I'm thinking one of the three men that Dina exiled could possibly be her father or some type of relative, in a sense. And the reason why I believe this is because we're starting to see crazy-ass Rick again. And because of that, Dina's probably thinking, I'm going to exile this guy as well. And... Maybe she's going to spare Carl and Judith and allow them to stay. Maybe this is what happened with Eden. I don't know, but this is my feedback, and I want to see what your guys' thoughts are on that. All right, thanks, Mario. Um, so Dina is Deanna, of course, and, and Eden is Enid. <laughs> right. She's in cahoots with the W people. Yeah, possibly bringing bringing zombies to Alexandria to make it more dangerous. That would be something crazy. But I did kind of like his thought about what if Deanna now decides to exile Rick but says, "Carl, you're good. Judith of course can stay. She's a baby. Only you have to leave, Rick." That creates some pretty strong tension between Rick and his son because Carl's not going to want to leave. He's found a girlfriend. Well, yeah, but yeah, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting if that happens. That that I think that'd be great. I I think it would be an interesting twist, anyways. You know, if we even get to that. But I, uh, you know, having sort of that thought come out of the fact that maybe Enid, you know, one of Eden's Enid's family members was was exiled, and that's kind of why one of the reasons why she's working against Alexandria. But you know, we don't have any evidence of that necessarily, but. Uh, it sure make for an interesting plot line in the next episode yeah. and maybe going forward. It really would. Uh, okay, Jim the Trucker in Delaware writes, here's my prediction. Nicholas is going to use that gun to kill Glenn because of the bad blood between the two. In turn, Maggie will kill Nicholas. 
Wow. So wow. Nicholas knew, knows where there's a gun and he needs a gun because he's upset with uh, Glenn and he's going to kill him. Yeah, that could happen. It could. I mean, Nicholas is a hothead and a coward, so he could... And Glenn is the only one who knows what uh, what he did. Yep. So, yeah, that very well could happen. Jim, uh, you might be correct. I hope not. I don't want to see Glenn die, but nope. I know I did predict that Glenn could be one of the characters that doesn't survive the season finale. And so in, uh, in this scenario, we have Glenn dying, which is bad, but Nicholas also dying, which is good. Yeah, and Mich- and possibly Maggie getting, you know, revenge for killing her husband. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, next we have uh, next predictions from Justin in Singapore. Prediction for the finale is that the wolves will attack Alexandria and our group will not be able to save the Alexandrians. The town will then get saved, in quotes, by another group. Thus we have our saviors and Negan. I do not think Negan is part of the wolves like many believe. This will also open up an interesting dynamic where Alexandria will work with Negan and his group in season six six, as he provides protection. Yep. So I could see this, you know, the wolves, or if indeed the group that Daryl's tracking are the wolves, which we have every intention of, uh, well, we have every um, evidence to to believe. believe, Reason to believe, sorry. Um, You know, I could see that. And then... So if they start causing trouble and then another group shows up led by Negan, who's of course a popular or not so popular character, uh, comic uh, character from the comic, <laughs> right? Um, maybe he swoops in and actually helps save Alexandria. Now we know in the comic that he's not a very nice guy and he is using other communities and collecting resources from them to keep sort of his own community going right yep. he's he's yep. ruling over them more or less controlling them and if he sweeps in or uh, swings in and saves alexandria he has reason to say look i just saved you guys you have to give us half your resources kind of thing yep your food and and whatnot so could be pretty interesting and then he'll slowly reveal his true nature that's true that'd be <laughs> that'd be really cool i don't know it's it i could see it playing out like that i think it's a good theory yep All right, Joshua in Miami, Florida writes, On your last podcast, Chris predicted that Daryl Dixon will die in the season finale. I did. I I predicted that, or at least I proposed the idea. Never happened. If Daryl were to become immune from death like Rick, then the show would decrease in quality because it would become far too easy to predict who will live and who will die. So while I agree Daryl should be able to die and will die eventually in this show, I don't agree that he will die next episode. I predict he will die in season six, either the mid-season or season finale. Spoiler warning, if he does die, the only way I can see it happening is if he adopts Glenn's fate from the comic, because what better way to introduce Negan than to have him kill everyone's favorite character and instantly become the most despised villain in the show's history. Yeah, big spoiler alert there. Yeah, but that's why we're doing this after the podcast, because there's definitely spoilers here. Yeah, Negan kills Glenn in the comic in a most I, brutal fashion. It, it, it makes me uncomfortable when you say that on the podcast, even though I know we're in like not only within a spoiler section, but we've given a spoiler warning about that. Just you know, the fact that you're saying it out loud makes me uncomfortable. No, I, I, I know what you mean. We... 
we try our best to stay away from spoilers, especially when it comes to the comic, because we are a podcast about the TV show, right? Yep. And there are lots of other resources for comic information, but no, I know it, it makes me uncomfortable just to say it, but that's <laughs> why I gave people the biggest warning I could. And that's why I basically ended the podcast before we got into this section. Right. Okay. So if you're still here and now you're upset that you were spoiled, I'm sorry. You had ample warning. So, yeah, so the, the idea is that uh, Daryl will take on Glenn's fate, which uh, which would be interesting. It would. Especially if Glenn dies next episode, like you predicted. Oh, man. Well, here's the thing. I've kind of been thinking about this for a while, and I do think if they're going to kill Daryl, they need to do it in a big way. And there is no bigger death than Glenn's from the comics. So I could see this happening. I really could see this happening. You know, Glenn picked up a baseball bat a couple episodes ago. And everyone got all in a tizzy about that because he gets <laughs> he gets beaten with a baseball bat. And maybe that was a red herring. And they're going to do the same thing to Daryl Dixon maybe this week in the season finale. I will be I will be shocked. I will definitely say that. But if it happens, it's going to be nuts, man. Going to be nuts. Nutso. All right. So finally, we have Hayden in Brisbane, Australia. So what is this note here? Hayden takes your theory about the end of the show one step further? Right. Okay. So my theory about the end of the show is that the first scene of the pilot is actually the last scene of the of the show. Right. So Hayden takes that to, to the next step. He does. I have a theory on how the show will end, and it's a bit out there. It could be interesting to see how uh, we get to this ending. That little girl at the very beginning of season one, episode one, is Judith. Oh. Crazy. Right? <laughs> so that little girl is Judith. But if you go back and watch the very first scene with this in mind, it kind of makes sense. Only problem in uh, in this is that the girl doesn't look like Shane and has regular sized ears. <laughs> okay, so that is a problem. It but is. if that is Judith, and that is, the, in fact, the, <laughs> the last scene of the last episode of The Walking Dead, and they showed it to us at the very beginning... Um, my mind will, my head will explode because my mind will be blown so hard. That would be, uh, I think that does absolutely take that to the next uh, to the next level. And I think that that would be absolutely insane. <laughs> I think you're both wrong, but, you know, that would be really, really, really neat. It is within the, it is just a complete ridiculous ass theory, but I kind of want to see something crazy like that. You know, I, I must admit, like... It would be just be so, so nuts. And when I think about the fact that Rick is a police officer again, he wears a cop uniform. Two seasons ago, I never would have thought that you'd see Rick as a police officer ever again because he just, the world doesn't need cops anymore, right? But look, right. now he's a cop again. So he has a uniform again. And maybe they'll stay in Alexandria for two more full seasons and then it'll all fall apart and... <laughs> He'll have to get on the road again, and he'll come to a gas station, and, you know, uh, Judith will be, will have grown up and turned into a zombie, and he'll have long, he'll have lost her long ago, and then he finds her there, doesn't realize it, except for that look on his face. There's a slight tinge of recognition before he pulls the trigger. Oh, crap. And cut to black, Walking Dead season nine or whatever is done. Yeah, that would be pretty crazy. That would be nuts. <laughs> Come on, that's an amazing theory. Thank you, Hayden in Australia, for that one. Okay, that's it. That's all we've got. Uh, no need to do the ending again. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back on Monday with our recap of the Season 5 finale.
Ciao, ciao. Exciting stuff.